0: on the latest episode of Leaps Elsewhere. Today we are so, so excited to be finally talking about the pilot episode of Gung-Ho. This was uh, his second uh,
1: project ever, wasn't it, in his first TV show, Scott Bakula? I think so. I'm not gonna lie, I mean, it's not good. (laughs) Oh
2: my god, every emotion that you can name.
0: Fear and loathing, <laughs> humor and <laughs> horror. You know it's always going to be a good show when it, it runs for less than half a season. They can't
1: even get any cars there. It's just a bunch of cardboard cars in the background on the yeah. line. <laughs> <laughs> <It's gonna laughs> be changes.
0: Changes, changes.
2: changes. changes. To find out how to hear this and other Patreon exclusive shows, go to patreon.com slash Quantum Leap Podcast. That's Patreon.com slash Quantum Leap Podcast. Changes right before your eyes.
3: Greetings, Dr. Beckett. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett stepped into the quantum leap accelerator and vanished. He awoke to find himself trapped in the past, facing mirror images that were not his own and driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. His only guide on this journey is Al, an observer from his own time, who appears in the form of a hologram that only Sam can see and hear. And so Dr. Beckett finds himself leaping from life to life, striving to put right what once went wrong and hoping each time that his next leap will be the leap home.
2: You are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is episode 84, Promised Land.
4: What the hell? You heard me! Hands up! Everyone stay calm. We'll get this over with and be on our way. Keep me covered while I shut the blinds. Don't fall apart on me now, little brother. Oh boy. As usual, when I leap, I didn't have a clue as to who I was, or for that matter, why I was robbing a bank. But I did no fear when I saw it, and I saw it everywhere. I also had a strange feeling about this place. It seemed familiar. You're William Walters, Jr., uh, but everybody calls you Willie. It's 22nd of December, 1971. Where am I? You're home, Sam. You're in Elkridge, Indiana.
2: I'm, I'm home?
4: I know a guy named Willie, Willie Walters. Uh, a couple of years older than me, he he had a couple of brothers. The big one is Neil. He's a couple of years older than you. He's a loose cannon. Oh, his father died, and he came back to take charge of the family farm. Uh, the younger one is John. He's still in high school. He's never been in any kind of trouble. Yeah, until now. Mm. What, about, what about Willie? Willie, Indiana State University, honor student. He didn't come back home in time. In time for what? Uh, To save the family farm from foreclosure, it seems they were late a couple of months on a loan. They're robbing the bank to pay the bank? Why does Ziggy say I'm here? In the original history, the brothers were killed trying to escape. Uh, Ziggy says there's an 88.9% chance that you're here to see that the brothers surrendered. Hello, Chief Mundy. Why don't you boys just throw out your guns and come on out? What's he want? He wants us to come out. Not until we see Vernon. Gus Vernon? Of course Gus Vernon. He's bank president, isn't he? He made the loan, he can make it. He said it looked like we didn't get a fair deal. Sam, it turns out that the Walters farm was one of six parcels bought at auction by an out-of-state developer who went on to build the largest shopping center in the whole Tri-County area, and Vernon made a fortune in kickbacks. He's forcing the farms under so we can get the land? I know that you're sympathetic with the situation here because it's your hometown and all of that, but Ziggy says there's a 73.9% chance that if you surrender, you'll leave. I can't even put here to save their lives and then leave them with nothing, Al. I mean, their their farm is all they got. My dad worked our farm 16 hours a day, seven days a week. It was his life. And when they took it away from him, well, it was wrong then and it's wrong now. Yeah, but you weren't even there. Exactly. I wasn't even there. Maybe I could have helped him save what he worked so hard to build, but I wasn't there. I can't help but wonder if Pop might not still be alive if you hadn't took off the way you did. That's enough. That man lived for you. John and I were his sons, but you were his life. And when he needed you most, you weren't even there. I didn't know. <gasps> didn't know or didn't care.
2: Oh. Don't ever say that again. Hello, everyone. I'm Christopher D. Philippus. I'm Allison Pregler. And I'm Matt Dale. And you are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Welcome, one and all. Today, we are discussing the season five episode, Promised Land, which is also more commonly known as QL's other Christmas episode. (laughs) Even though it's a wonderful leap, I always think of it as a Christmas episode. It's not. Yeah. Right? And I think we made that mistake constantly as we were doing the It's a Wonderful Leap uh, recording. What helps with promised land is, uh, even though you guys are probably going to hear it a few weeks from now, it's two days after Christmas as we record this. So it's just the right time of year for us to be talking about, uh, promised land. And if you guys don't mind, I want to just jump into my initial impressions because I was so happy to have such a nice breather. And such a nice holiday themed episode (laughs) after the wacky leaps that we have been going through in season five. This was just like a a quantum leap. I enjoyed it so much. How about you, Allison? Well,
1: (laughs) I mean, I'm kind of torn on if I I like it or not, to be honest. I'm kind of, I don't know. It's nice. It's a nice episode.
0: And Matt? Yeah, interesting. The way I found myself approaching this, um, it made me wish that we'd directly asked a, a specific question every episode of Season 5, and it's a topic we've kind of touched on in a roundabout way every week. But particularly here, I asked myself the question, would I like this episode if it wasn't for the gimmick of the week? And... Yeah, not so much. But the gimmick of the week is, is nice enough, so that's okay.
1: It kind of feels like, like reheated, though, from better episodes about this, yeah. so it kind of stops me from enjoying it as much. The, that, you're talking about the
0: fact that Sam leaped to his hometown? as the gimmick yeah the that, that that and also the, the sort of the general christmas vibe um which is also reheated we've we've had a a proper christmas episode this almost seems a little redundant arguably two proper christmas episodes but definitely one official christmas episode and then yeah as you say is sam sam going back home this is almost a follow up to the leap home but um not quite, and yeah, it, it's it's okay. But take all that take all that away, and I think this is something that, as I say, we, we should be kind of doing with every season five episode. Take all this away and look at an episode about uh, a bank robbery done by some nice guys um, for for kind of the morally right reasons. Yeah, it's it's okay. It's pretty good. If anything, I think the gimmick spoils it a bit.
2: It's funny you say that because that was my one sticking point when I was watching it saying, what are the odds that Sam is going to leap back into Elkridge, Indiana, and see his dad? <laughs> and then I thought, well, yeah. you know, the odds that he leaps to any place in any time are almost vanishingly small anyway. So when you take it as infinitesimal as it is, any leap is infinitesimally – infinitesimally, is that a word? Any leap is equally likely, in my opinion. Just because he happens to leap into someone um, close to people that he grew up with or into his hometown and is able to sort of interact with those that he
0: loves? Yeah. Sure, that's fine. You're not a gambling man, are you, Chris? Because that's an interesting interpretation of odds. I like it. Hey, listen, it, it, it's, it's my sci-fi odds. And no, I'm not a gambling
2: man. Uh, I just yeah. going to a casino and losing money is not my idea of fun, even though I've done it a few times.
1: <laughs> I mean, if you look at it with the show's rules... Whoever is leaping him around, whether you believe that it's Sam, whether you believe that it's God, whether you believe it's some other fate or whatever, um, he just goes where he needs to be. So it's not really about what are the odds anyway, you know? But, um, my, my problem really is that, uh, there's, there's aspects of this that I really enjoy. The fact that Sam is, is taking the time to think about the fact that he wasn't really there for his father. Uh, When he should have been, Um, I I really enjoyed those those aspects of it. But as far as like him meeting his dad, um, let's forget the whole Scott Bakula and makeup thing, because I just it's distracting. It's very distracting for me. (laughs) But let's forget that. A lot of it seems like directly, almost exactly the same lines and scenes from. The Leap Home, or even from Genesis, when he has this bit where he's talking to Al about um, the fact that his dad's still alive.
4: My dad's still alive. I'm I'm home and, and my dad's
1: still alive. That's directly from Genesis. When he's talking about like, well, maybe I won't leap out. Maybe I don't want to leap out because I'm home. That's from The Leap Home. A lot of that is just sort of less good versions of those things to me.
0: I find Scott, just since you touched on that already, I find Scott playing his own dad in this one far less distracting than I do the body double whose shoulder we're looking <laughs> over you. whenever the camera <laughs> change. That is the worst body double for Scott. I want to see that guy's face.
1: Oh, you can. I looked at it on IMDb. It looks nothing <laughs> like him. Nothing like yeah, him. You
0: can tell from behind it looks nothing like him. <laughs> he looks like this squashy little guy.
2: They credited as photo doubles, right? Not body yes. doubles, yeah. but photo doubles. And yeah. It's like they weren't even trying. <laughs> they could add Allison standing as the over-the-shoulder shot to look at Scott in the makeup. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> Any dude with brown hair, that'll do. Oh, dear. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was pretty dumb. But, you know, um, I guess that if you had a uh, regular resolution definition TV back in the 90s, it wasn't as noticeable. That's what I'm going with. I mean, they they realized that the resolution at home wasn't going to be the greatest anyway, so it was good enough in a pinch.
1: I mean, it also might have been um, the fact that this was season five and they had no budget or time. And Scott Bakula is uh, back in the director's chair, and um, while he's done a, a great job uh, with it uh, was it two or three? It was three episodes that he's directed so far. Yeah. Um, he is a little bit green as a
0: director still, so I don't know if maybe like because he would be in charge of casting, yeah, for that sort of thing. And I guess he he doesn't know what the back of his own head looks like as well as some other people. So yeah, maybe maybe, maybe he should have asked for advice. Well, he's also got to be
1: like like in the makeup and in the like focusing on doing these double shots of himself and all this other like that's a lot to take on for yourself, especially in season five when
0: things were were pretty tight. Should have got like Dean to do the casting for the the photo double or something. Some somebody that's actually seen Scott Bakula from behind on a frequent basis. Why don't get the, they get Diamond Farnsworth? He doubles for him all the time. Just have him stand <laughs> <Yeah>. there. <laughs> uh,
2: who knows? Who knows? Like maybe Diamond wasn't available that week. Who can say?
0: I thought that was a beautiful scene. A photo double aside, I love that scene. Oh, me too. Your father was a good man. He was the best.
4: How's your mother? She's good. She wanted me to give you a message, though. Message? Yeah, she, uh... She wanted me to wish you a Merry Christmas. Yeah. Merry Christmas to you, too, son. Merry Christmas to you.
1: It is nice. It's nice that Sam gets a little bit for himself. Like, I, I did appreciate that. I just don't know if, if the episode was as powerful as it, uh, it could have been.
2: Yes, because even here a human, he needs to have something for us. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you, you know what this episode felt like to me? I feel like I'm being a real downer here, but you, you know what this episode felt like to me? Um, it felt like a, a typical uh, early to mid-90s CBS show. Hmm. Like, when it's like, it, it's kind of nice. You, you could put it on in the background and, like, an old person would like it. It's not really that, <laughs> like... <laughs> you know like they don't it's kind of surface level you might get some like um pleasant flute noises to kind of tie it over like it just felt like it kind of, kind of stale and like you've seen this before i've seen the robber story before and quantum leap has done a lot of stories that are like stock plots for television but elevated them in a way that i didn't mind that it was a story i'd seen before but this i i don't think it did it, there was like lots of parts where Sam's just going from person to person, talking about their story, like in a line, and they're spouting off these <laughs> cliched lines about their themselves and like talking about how great his dad is. When I took sick, and it's just <laughs> wow.
0: Yeah. Oh my god. Uh, yeah. No. <laughs> That's problematic.
2: I don't think so. That, to me, was part of what elevated the episode. I mean, the two things that stood out for me in this one were that, um, first, there's lots of Sam lore. So we get some more of Sam's backstory emotionally, which I like. But the other thing that I liked the most was I thought that the supporting cast was as fleshed out as you were going to be able to get in a situation like this. They were more than, like, window dressing. Yeah,
1: but there's ways to give them stories, like, backstories, without, like, going in a line and talking to them.
2: I I guess. I mean, I guess what I'm really thinking of is Elizabeth Dennehy who played the redhead. Her name's uh in in the story she's Beth Ryan. She was one mm-hmm. the pregnant girl in the bank.
1: Oh, Commander Shelby.
0: Yes. <laughs> Who's
2: that? <laughs> Commander Shelby from Best of Both Worlds on Next
0: Generation. That's her. Oh, okay. Okay. I had no idea. But um Yeah. You're not having an old man's fantasies about her then. Okay. Sorry, we're going into another show. At this stage, all
2: my fantasies are old man's fantasies, but um, (laughs) I thought that she was great and the little sort of the the antagonism that she had with the other girl in the bank who I guess is sleeping with Gus, I thought that that was was a funny part, and when she she went out into the street and pretended to go into labor... (laughs) It was so lame. (laughs) I just thought it was hilarious. It was lame. It wasn't funny. It was lame. It was supposed to be lame. That's what made it funny.
1: But it wasn't (laughs) funny because it was lame. I was just like, oh, this comedy is not working at all.
2: It was funny because it was lame. It, ah, man. <laughs> again i'm coming off a trilogy guys you gotta give me something i'm being really negative
1: i don't th- i don't hate it as much as i'm coming off it. i don't really hate it i just don't think it's really that i don't know it's i don't really think about it that much
0: <laughs> no th- this is definitely the the, the post trilogy palette cleanser that you just yeah you kind of forget about well within a week to be fair
1: this seems like an episode that was really like, it was nice filming it. I've got some, uh, some scans, uh, from behind the scenes, uh, that, that came with the, uh, cut ending, uh, scans. And it's of Scott Bakula directing. And there's even like, um, some photos of, I guess the, the older couple in the bank, they were actually married. And they were celebrating their 50th anniversary during the shoot. And so there's like a sh- shot of like Scott Bakula and them like giving them a big cake and they're celebrating. And it seems really
2: sweet. I mean, this had to be, you said there was no no time and no money. This had to be like the back lot completely, right? Yeah. This is like the New York Street, I yeah. guess, the New York yeah, Street in the back to be. lot. Yeah. But for all that, I think that it really gave it a nice sense of place, the small town. And um, I- again, there was just a homey feel. I guess that's what makes it more Christmas to me than anything else. And because, like you said, Allison, this would be a generic 90s stock episode of any kind of CBS drama. But the fact that it's Quantum Leap and I like Sam and I'm vested in Sam elevates it for me a little bit too. And the fact that, like I said, we got some Sam lore here and how he was feeling, leaving the farm, going off to do his own thing and in his mind abandoning his family, and letting his dad down. One thing that really struck me, and I, I didn't know this, I guess this is the first time I ever paid attention to it, Sam's dad lost the form before he died? How did that happen? Yeah, I don't remember them mentioning
1: that before.
2: Me neither. No. So I'd be really interested to know how all of that came about. Uh, was it just because it Gives him a little bit more empathy with what the Walters boys are going through and what the Walters family is going through. I didn't think it was a foregone conclusion that John Beckett had lost the farm. I thought that Thelma lived there after he died. So shows you what I know.
1: Yeah, I guess she. Well, it, we know from the pilot she was living in Hawaii with a uh, hmm. with his sister. So maybe that's where she went after they lost the farm. I liked that aspect of the story because I think that Sam Beckett is a character who gave up a lot of things to pursue his dreams, you know, because you can't just stay in this small farm town. If you're going to invent a time machine, if you're like this Nobel prize winning genius, like you got to go elsewhere to do this. And family um, was a big thing for him. And uh, he wasn't there when his dad lost his farm. He wasn't there for his dad's funeral. I believe that was brought up in an episode before, so he, I think he carries a lot of guilt from that, and um, I was glad this episode went over that particular aspect of his relationship with his father.
2: But when you say it's almost like he made a choice between his career and his family, I I never even really framed it like that. In my mind, Sam was just going places, so he just took the opportunities that arose and You're going to go do this at MIT. You're going to go do this uh, in DC. You're going to go build Quantum Leap. I feel like maybe this all happened organically and then before he knew it. Yeah. um, You know, he he had lost touch with everything that put him in the place to, to succeed to begin with. And that's his regret is that it just happened so fast or seemingly fast and it kind of blindsided him when it all caught up with him. And then he wasn't there. I don't know that he made a conscious choice to say I got to leave this behind. It just was a natural progression of who he was.
1: Yeah, but I think like with that came sacrifices. It wasn't because he he made that that thought there is because like that's just what happens. And I guess that's what happens with anyone when you leave home and you're you're pursuing your life as an adult. And I think it happened very early for him because what he was like what sixteen when he went to MIT.
2: Yeah, something like that. He's pretty young. Yeah, yeah.
1: And then he would have been surrounded by people that were much older than him, like, had to have been kind of isolating.
0: Kind of overwhelming. Some of this regret he might not have really had time to fully process. If he if he left home that young and he's just been his, – his career's been moving at a very, very fast trajectory and he's been doing all these things. In some ways, maybe this leap is for him to give him a moment to actually face up to that in a way that he really didn't get the chance to in the leap home. This sort of forces him to accept and and have time to process his regrets,
2: especially by putting him in a situation with people that are going through similar experiences. Exactly. Yeah, and exactly. I think I was I was doing the math. Sam in universe at that time would have been eighteen years old, and I guess he had just come home from whatever college he was at at the time. Maybe he was still at MIT or wherever he was transitioning to. And maybe the bad stuff hadn't happened yet for him at that age. I wonder, again, when John lost the farm, what do he say? He was in his 40s when he died?
1: It had to have been within the last three years, because it was like uh, three years from then when his dad passed away. I believe it's 74.
2: Okay, so he could still just be this bright-eyed kid, sort of completely wrapped up in all of the exciting stuff that's happening in his life. And then before you know it.
1: Did he change what happened after he uh, exposed the evil banker? Was he the (laughs) one that he got that took the farm? Because they said there were many farms that were going to
2: be lost because of this. They left it vague. They didn't say um, whether John lost the farm as part of the same land deal. I think that if it was that, it would have been a much bigger plot point. Because, you know, that – directly affects him It's oh my god this is how my dad lost his farm
1: yeah i guess sam would would make it a point to be like i gotta help my dad too right
2: not just i'm gonna help my neighbor but god this this, this is the same fate that befell my family and it's what killed my dad or whatever you know it, i think it would have been a much bigger dramatic point if they had lost the farm to the same guy
1: and he um he gives up going to see his family in this episode he doesn't know his dad's going to show up at the end but he gives up his chance When he sees his farms down the road, if he has this choice, he can go see his family (laughs) or he can go... Get the uh get the, proof. get the
2: deed, yeah, whatever it is. Go get and, the uh, deed from I mean, the what?
1: evil banker man. He's gonna <laughs> he's gonna get he's gonna pave all of these pave them over all these farms to build a mall.
2: <gasps> right, but I love he's literally standing at the crossroads deciding which way to go and then truck ex machina comes through saying, Do you wanna ride ten miles that way to see your family? <laughs> Choose your own adventure. <laughs> it's like temptation. Aww. It was like that's just GTFW fucking with him. <laughs> (laughs) oh boy
1: he's so sad in this episode he's there's this nostalgia but that that wistfulness and he has even sort of this like fleeting hope like he's like
4: see that's what i'm thinking now maybe i've been put here to have a second chance a second chance who knows you know i mean maybe um maybe if this all works out okay and and i don't leap right away um maybe i can go see my family
1: Maybe God, God, time, fate, whatever will help me out on this one. You could silently hear Al like, oh, that dope. No. <laughs> <laughs> How does dad Beckett not know about the whole hostage situation at the end?
2: Well, oh, I mean, that's the most ridiculous thing. I think, of the episode. Are you going to talk about goofs? No. Sam, well, if Sam can remember that some rando was Captain Hook in a school production of Peter Pan, he doesn't remember an original history where three townsfolk got killed while attempting to hold up the bank. You think that would have been pretty big talk? Well, he, he probably Swiss cheese that, though. Yeah, but come on. I mean, if you're going to make a memory as insignificant as a high school play, but not something that was probably the talk of the town for well over a year.
1: I just mean, how come his dad didn't know? At the end, Like, he's just like, who are you? Can I help you, son? And it's like, what? The whole town has been focused on this hostage situation. No, it,
2: unless you were in the bank or in Flo's did, diner. Did he notice all of the police <laughs> around there? Like, uh, I mean, you know, he's, he's just busy. wandering around like Mr. Bean just doesn't <laughs> notice anything. Like. He's got to get them Christmas presents then go back and work 16 more hours on the farm. Come on.
1: He's the guy that was like, when, when that old lady took sick, he gave her a ride to the, <laughs> to the hospital.
3: John drove me to the doctor. He
1: knows everything that's going on in everyone's lives and he's just wandering around I don't know. Something <laughs> happening today?
2: <laughs> well, what do you think is the most ridiculous thing, Matt? Because uh, I heard you protesting.
0: Well, firstly, before I come back to that, I'm I'm still uh, just looking at the history of the Beckett farm. And um, there was a cut scene in Roberto where Sam talks about his father selling the farm six months before he died. Oh. So this has obviously been...
1: Was that also a Tommy Thompson script?
0: Oh, possibly. I'm on to other things now. Because <laughs> he,
1: uh, he wrote this one along with uh, Gillian Horvath. I don't remember that name.
0: Yes. It, this was uh, Gillian's first TV script. Uh, she later wrote some Highlander, a couple of other things, I think. I met her very briefly a couple of years back. Lovely lady. Nice. Um, yeah. All right. I'm going to come back to the farm later. So one of you is hopefully going to correct me if I missed something here, because if I'm right, this is so dumb. What What is it the bank robbers are trying to do? They're, they're trying to rob the bank to pay the bank, right? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> but, but they're robbing the bank of the exact amount of money to the penny that they need. Because they're stupid. $37,893.19. Not a penny more, not a penny less. That's so stupid. That's beyond, st- I, I get that it's morally right. Because
1: they're only going to take what they need.
2: <laughs> they're, no, they're only going to take what's because they were swindled. And that's what that's they what say they, they, they are owed. So yeah. it's their, like you said, it's morally right. So they're we're not crooks. We're just going to get what's ours so we can get out of this, this deal that you swindled us into.
0: So so they're trying to do this. They've got their faces covered, so no one will figure out who they are. And what, the day after they've stolen this money, they then, what, pay back that exact amount of money to the penny? Yeah, I mean, it's dumb. And no one questions <laughs> that it's them.
1: Yeah, I think they point out that it's pretty dumb, too. Like, Sam's like, they're robbing the bank to pay the bank?
0: <laughs> well, that is dumb. But that, that also has this kind of... It, it has a nice symmetry. But it's also... I I don't know. It it seems like it's more dumb than they even highlight there. Yeah. That, that to me, is the dumbest part of the episode.
2: No, it's pretty dumb. Yeah, it never would have worked.
1: Which I guess is why the history didn't go very well.
0: No. It
2: was a bloodbath, the original history. (laughs) It's mainly due to Neil, who is just the biggest jerk on the planet. Pity party Neil is how I got to think of him. I mean, he's such an asshole. Just such an asshole. So insecure. He makes everyone around him miserable because he's feeling inadequate. I mean, what what I loved most is, I mean, this is skipping to the end, but the fact that Sam is like, are you saying that I leaped in here and saved his life just so he could be
4: murdered? Well, Sam, it can't all be happy endings, and there's nothing I can do. Well, if you want to hang around here for another six years, I wish I never would have stopped. I mean, why should I even stop? I should just keep
2: going. The point is there is no saving someone like Neil because people like Neil to me can't be saved because he always sees himself as a victim.
4: I never wanted to be ahead of the family. You're so slow yourself, aren't you? Big college boy, come home and fix everything. Neil, don't. Why not? Everyone knows really a smart one. What's it feel like to know everything about everything? He set us up. You mean me, don't you? No, I didn't say that. Yeah, you didn't have to. What a disappointment I must have been. I I never could be what he wanted. I never could be you.
1: Well, they don't necessarily imply that it's his fault that he dies. They say that there's a robbery that goes wrong where he's killed. I don't know if they're implying he's doing the robbing in that situation.
2: I don't know. Maybe just Neil rubbed me the wrong way because daddy never loved him. And he never asked to be the head of a family because I'm the victim. I'm Neil. It's never my fault. I never need to take responsibility. It's just thrust upon me and I have to bear it. And so it's like when all you do is blame others for your failures, what's saving you is there? That's just who you are. I mean, unless you take charge of your own life and try to turn things around, where else are you going to go but down?
0: This also, after 80-odd episodes, this finally addresses the point that I know we've spoken about a few times that Sam goes in to do something, and quite often there is some form of collateral damage afterwards. And Chris, I know you you wrote about this afterwards as well, but this is the first time that this is really addressed on screen, that sometimes every single life Sam touches does not end up okay. He gets in there and does, does what he's meant to do, but sometimes stuff ends up going wrong either it goes wrong later than it would have done but it still goes wrong anyway or it only goes wrong because of what sam did and that's that's just the way it is you can't save everyone and everything and it it surprises me it's taken them five seasons to get around to addressing that
1: yeah i I liked that there was no happy ending for neil i mean like he got to live like a few more years but the fact that there's, there's not really a big story reason for it. Like, they do mention, you know, you can't save everyone, but they could have just as easily had, like, the happy wrap-up where everything worked out okay. But they didn't. They're just like, well, I mean, y- you saved him, but he didn't make it in the end, because sometimes things just happen.
2: Yeah. Sometimes people are just miserable and... They're intent on being miserable and no matter how optimistic. Wow, you did not like him. I did not like Neil at all. No. I, I, <laughs> I, it, I don't know. If it, it, it's almost like he had sort of this, this willful ignorance about him. Like, like everything had to do with, I don't know, some kind of sense of pride. And if anybody was getting ahead of him, like his brother, it irked him because he felt inadequate. Therefore, he blames his brother for not being there for the dad. And I realized they did that so that they could have the parallel with Sam and his feelings of guilt about his dad. I mean, it was right there in 20-foot-high letters. I get it. You get it? Yeah, I get it. But at the same time, it doesn't make Neil a likable character, even though he's there to be the foil. The fact that everything that comes out of him is poor me, poor me, poor me, It it just – I don't care if you die alone in an alley. I really don't. I mean, how else? How else were you going to go? Really?
1: He's a bit like the jilted husband in a uh, single drop of rain, where it's kind of like he's the brother left to kind of pick up the
2: pieces.
3: I, he's
1: mm, got this indignant. I'm gonna,
2: yeah, I'll fight you on that one. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I get what Let's you're go. saying. Ding 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 ding. <laughs> I get what you're saying, but I felt like the guy in drop of rain was an <laughs> at all Yes, and he was sour because he felt like he was stuck there yes but the person that sam leapt into and i made it a big point of saying this while we were doing drop of rain was not a good guy um bill was it sure. billy whatever whatever his name was so it was like this guy watching an asshole get away with everything his whole life go off abandon them to go be a charlatan and then coming back into town to apparently rob them you know to come yeah, and oh, swindle yeah. them
1: <laughs> there's so- definitely a good reason not to like him <laughs>
2: So, I think, like, uh, the dude that was, you know, stuck there holding the bag and being the honorable one might have a little bit more of a case than Neil. We don't really know a lot about Willie, though, do we? I don't think we ever really learn
1: much about who he is. Like, Sam is just there to be Sam as a parallel to his life. Right. But we don't really know a lot about, like, who Willie is.
2: No, I mean, just Willie got off the farm because he was able to get into college. And... Apparently, that's, you know, it's, it's going to be one or the other. It's just always weird to me when you have a dynamic set up where someone goes off to succeed in a different way. And then you have resentment because he's not working in the coal mine, you know, go off with your poetry friends. I'm going to be here getting black lung because that's damn it. That's just how we do it in this family. It's I never understood that that dynamic. I know it's a staple of drama and I know it happens in real life as well. But I just, I never understood why people would want to see other people not succeed. And the only conclusion I can come to is because they're miserable, so therefore everybody else around them has to be miserable.
1: Yeah. It's the, like, I didn't get this, so why should someone else get it?
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. And it just, it it rubs me the wrong way. Every time I see it, it irks me. It's the same reason it, you really want to go off on a tangent. It's the same reason why I had to stop watching the Sopranos before it ended, because Tony became he was always unlikable. He was always a jerk. But <laughs> that he <mobster>. became
1: <laughs> I stopped liking him. <laughs> he,
2: he was just such a miserable fuck by the end of the series that I, I couldn't even stomach seeing him on screen. I just couldn't. Aside from all the gang stuff and the mobster stuff.
1: Well, now you can you you don't have to stop believing. <laughs>
2: <laughs> why do get the fuck out of here so uh, that's all a long way of saying i bring some baggage to this so maybe it's making me a little bit more anti-neil than the writers intended <laughs> no it's fine if you don't like him
1: i think it's kind of nice that he is not really a very likable character but sam helps him anyway because it's the right thing to do like sam's like a uh you know he cares about everyone even if he's like butting heads with them you know like he wants to do the right thing and um there there was a great part in the episode where he's uh where they're waiting around and uh the older couple are like the 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 guy is like I don't mean to tell you how to do your bank robbing but you might point that pea shooter else, somewhere else and then Sam apologizes like he's like oh sorry Mr. so and so
0: I'm sorry, Mr. Pierce.
1: Sorry about that. Sorry about pointing my gun at you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) There's some very sweet humor in this.
1: Like, he's like a 16-year-old kid again. Like, he just, you know, respect your elders. Right.
2: (laughs) (laughs) To me, that's so quintessentially Sam. Yeah. Yeah. And
1: that's that's why, like, Sam wants to help him and why he feels horrible that he didn't save him in the end. Because he's, like, not a very likable guy, but he doesn't want him to die.
2: No. And it's also, these are neighbors, even though... He knew them only tangentially. I think he still feels a sense of community and the obligation, I guess, that he was raised feeling towards helping your neighbors. I mean, that's what makes him such a great leaper. But, you know, now it's even more personal because he knew them personally. So the fact that Tommy made it so that Sam really couldn't save Neil or or Jillian wrote it that Sam couldn't save Neil, whoever came up with that, it was nice to see. It was just a nice difference. Aside from everything that I just ranted about with Neil, it was just shaking it up a <laughs> tiny bit.
1: We had to know that this was a Tommy Thompson
2: script because it had to do with father-son relationships. Hmm. You know what? I was I was too busy looking for the vamp that was coming in to seduce Sam against his will. <laughs> oh and- my gosh!
1: There was there was just the bank lady that was sleeping with the boss. They didn't have anyone seducing Sam.
2: <laughs> I mean, I'm so surprised.
1: You know, what the, you know, what? I, I I realized watching this, um, literally like. 10 minutes before we did the podcast is, um, There's another John in this. The youngest brother's named John, and then we have John Beckett, they just keep adding all these Johns to the universe, and I don't even know what the deal is with John's brother John, when they're like, Sam calls up his uncle John, (laughs) or he says he's from his- no, he calls up his dad, and then he's like, I'm the son of your brother, John, and so there's two Johns. They're
0: all Johns and Sams in that family.
1: There's so many Johns.
0: They're like
2: George Foreman's kids. They're all named George.
1: Are they all named George?
2: (laughs) Yeah, he's like George the the First, George the Second. Yeah, look it up.
0: (laughs) Oh my gosh. Um, That's a real thing. Chris, I know know you were half joking, but um, yeah, uh, Tommy Thompson, on this very podcast back in 2015, uh, did confirm that it was his idea to include Sam's father uh, in a cameo appearance. Knew it. Got that Tommy Thompson (laughs) dad energy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They always get to me, though. Tommy knows how to
1: get me. He does. He's very good at writing these kind of strained, uh, almost regretful <laughs> relationships with fathers and like really examining that. And he even said like that's – he he realized much later that that was what he put into a lot of his scripts because of his own relationship with his dad.
0: Hmm.
2: Yeah, there's always a tinge of melancholy and yeah. they make it work. And I guess I'm not as bothered as you guys by Scott playing his dad and Scott and the makeup to play. It doesn't distract me at all. I just see it. That's Okay, that's his dad. So when he comes on the screen, I'm like, oh, boy, look at the makeup. I'm like, oh, he's seeing his dad.
1: That means he had to direct in that makeup. (laughs) He had to be behind the camera in the old man makeup, like, all right, get to your marks. All right.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You know who we didn't talk about? And I don't know if it's just because this guy is such an amazing actor or Sam is an amazing director or both, but Orlandine Snyder is the guy who played Sheriff Mundy, and I thought he was great. What? <laughs> everybody's laughing what? at me. What now,
0: Allison? <laughs> I, no, I'm, I'm not laughing. I'm wondering why Allison's laughing. It's, it's the good. sheriff
1: kills me in this. He's just sitting unconcerned at the diner, ordering slices of pie. Like, things will all just work out. I'm a patient man. And then, like, Cindy's husband comes in all pissed off. Like, hey, are we going to do anything? Like, my wife's in there. There's people with guns, which, yeah, you should be concerned about that, even if they're, like, hometown folk, you know. He could have avoided this whole shooting if he'd taken him seriously. But he's just like, calm down, I'm going to eat some pecan pie, talking down to him. (laughs) All the scenes in the diner, (laughs) like, these are clearly scenes designed to keep Scott out of some scenes, because he's directing, so it's, like, easier to have scenes without sam in them um and so we have a lot of them like discussing things in the diner and um the the banker shows up and uh they have like the indignant mom of uh, of all the of neil and john and willie uh she comes in <laughs> the banker's like who's talking about murder who's been murdered a way of life <laughs> <laughs> and she does this big speech and they applaud her no sir my boys stay right where they are.
3: And they stay there with my blessing.
1: Yeah Many hostage situations <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> so yeah, you were talking about the sheriff, he kills me.
2: I love him. <laughs> <laughs> just maybe I just I like the grandfatherly feel. I'm sorry, Elson. Yeah, he's cute. Just, sue me. You're right, he's a terrible sheriff, but I still like them. <laughs> I mean, upon reflection, you're not wrong.
1: (laughs) Do do your job, man. (laughs) Check out the sausage. You don't have to be all condescending to people that are like, hey, there's like guns and people and clearly in the original timeline they died. So it did go wrong. Well, he's sitting there eating his pecan pie.
2: You make a valid point.
1: (laughs) Is he any better than the evil banker? I tell you.
2: <laughs> no, I believe so.
1: I did like Al's line about the evil banker guy. He
2: said. What a nozzle.
1: I'd, li- I'd like to grab his Adam's apple and pull it out through his nostril. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
2: That's quite an Alism right there. Al didn't have a lot to do. He didn't get to do much. I mean, I think the more that we go through the series, the more we realize that Al does not have that much to do in general. Because you say that almost every episode. Yeah.
1: That's true. <laughs> but he didn't.
2: It's been
0: a frequent observation of yours. <laughs> Al is there for the exposition. Some episodes he gets to take the center stage, but let's face it, that's more the exception than the norm.
1: I did like the bit where um, Sam breaks into the banker's house and... Uh, and he's, like, falling through the window, and I was like, oh, good thing you didn't leap into a cat burglar. And, uh, <laughs> and then they're looking around for the deed, and uh, then they, um, Sam finds what he's looking for, and they kind of forget their whole situation, and, like, they're like, yeah, we're gonna high five Oh, Oh, never mind. That, <laughs> yeah, to
2: me, was priceless. Absolutely high-five. priceless. <laughs> the aborted high five.
1: That was really good. I think that was one of the
2: funniest moments on the show, to be honest. I love that bit. And I'm surprised they, they hadn't done it until then. <laughs> uh, yeah. I was like, oh wow. <laughs> anyway. So
1: Yeah, they bo- they kind of just like brushed it off like, oh yeah, oh well.
2: <laughs> We're silly and then <laughs> moved on. Well, one thing that I was really like, oh that's that's really neat is um Towards the beginning of the episode when the old couple are talking about the Beckets, and they said, yeah, their boy just came home from Vietnam.
4: Oh, yeah. Everybody in this part of the county knows John and Thelma Beckett. Fine family. One of their boys just
1: came back from Vietnam.
2: And it's like, oh, that's right. Tom is alive because Sam saved him. Mm. Right.
1: This was the year after he died in the original timeline, wasn't it? I wish
2: that we could have seen like Sam react to that somewhat. I wish they would have made a little bit more of a moment out of that. True, Because it's just a, you know, it's just as a matter of course to these people in the bank, it's almost a stranger, but for him, it's just like vindication.
1: I always kind of wondered, like, does Sam
2: remember a new life with his brother being alive after that? In my head canon, he remembers both. It's a mishmash. Like, he can remember the timeline because that's how he grew up with Tom dying but i I like to think that after he saved him, maybe sometimes his Swiss cheese will permit him to remember the new timeline where he got to spend some time with Tom, even if if it might have been strained because they lost the form and he was away and blah blah blah. You know it's not to say it was a great relationship or that it didn't have its its ups and downs. but I feel like at least he might remember a life with Tom in it as well.
1: because then we know from Elite for Lisa that changes in the timeline affect him because he's forgetting Al. Mm-hmm. So I feel like, yes. because he does mention, like, in um, uh, Rebel Without a Clue, he says, like, oh, I lost someone, but I got him back. I think he remembers the leap, so he knows that he died, but I think in his head, it's it's the timeline where he's alive now.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Huh.
1: That's got to be, like, some mind screwery going on there.
2: Right. I'm sure it's always going to be, again, what the plot requires, but- Whenever I thought about it, I would think that he remembers both. It's kind of the way Al remembers both, because they're both directly involved in the original history and the changed history.
1: This is all very confusing.
2: <laughs> yeah. Welcome to time travel.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I did I did like the um in uh, in Promised Lands, the vintage Christmas decor, the old like blow molds and stuff like that.
2: What are blow moulds?
1: You know, like, it's like when you're blowing glass, but it's, like, plastic. And then, then when you see those, like, old uh, light-up snowmen and Santas and stuff like that,
2: that's a blow mold. Oh, okay. I never heard that term. I didn't know that was a thing. Same.
1: They were big, and, like, I think within the last couple years, they shut down, like, the last factory in the States that makes blow mold decorations. Like, it's a dying art form.
0: Huh. But, yeah, I definitely i i appreciated the set dressing. This episode. I didn't know the terminology until just now, but uh, yeah.
1: Some kind of interesting shots that were, like, through decorations too. Like, you could see, like, there was some translucent green stuff or whatever, and kind of, like, the the shot, uh, uh, not panning over. Is it panning? I I think that it's, like, panning through the the green stuff to get to Sam and Al talking, and there's, like, some tinsel kind of around the screen.
0: There's a Great shot near the start of the episode that, I, if I remember rightly, pans right over the top of the uh, the divide into the office as, as Sam walks through. Yeah, it was a great dolly shot. And I think we've spoken about this with previous Bacular episodes. There is just a hint of new slash inexperienced director trying out a few cool things that are just almost pushed a little bit too far. Um, but they are very neat. He, d- he did some neat stuff here, but I think for the most part it was like it was pretty standard.
1: like it wasn't too fancy schmancy or anything. yeah I did I thought there was a really smooth shot in the uh, the banker's house when uh when he arrives to see Sam riffling through his stuff and uh Sam looks over at him and then you see Al just slowly kind of lean over his shoulder to like <laughs> to stare. It's pretty smooth.
2: Can you guys tell me um, the scene in the banker's house with the lockbox? I mean, the obvious, we got to look for a safe. Or, oh, you mean like this giant box with a lock on it? <laughs> well, <laughs> um, how easy is it in real life to shoot a lock off of
0: a lockbox? Probably not that easy. <laughs> <laughs> but it's always that easy in TV. Like, I
1: bet the noise from that would just like blow out your
2: ears if you weren't wearing protective gear. I I agree. And there were just a preponderance of guns in this episode. Everybody had a six shooter, you know, and not just, I I could see like farmers having rifles and things like that because they're they're hunters as well, you know, but just all of the handguns in this episode, like where'd they all come from? They're all shooting pheasants and stuff. With six shooters? (laughs) I don't know.
1: (laughs) It was just a wild, it was very wild west, very wild west part of the, the big climax of this is the fact that, um, Cindy's husband and, uh, John, uh, the younger brother gets shot and like, John's going to die. And I just find like, it doesn't have as much resonance as it, as it could. I like the, the overhead shot of him lying on like the, the tiled ground and you see the blood kind of seeping underneath him. Um, But he's such a—he has one scene with Sam, but so much of Sam's scenes are with Neil. So you don't really like care that much about John. I don't know if they thought that would be an unexpected twist, like, oh, John, we almost forgot about him. Now he's gonna die. But it's just like he's just not much of a character to me.
2: They did try to give him a little bit of pathos in the scene where he's asking him to be scared and. You know, they, they, they took some time to set up at least this is someone that maybe you should care about because we're going to almost kill him later. Yeah. But I, I, again, I just found all of that stuff sort of drowned out by what I found were more interesting interactions with the townsfolk and with just Neil's constant whining.
1: One thing on a on a technical level I also noticed in this one, there was a lot more ADR than usual and not not really greatly integrated. I hadn't noticed. Yeah, there was a lot of, like, dubbing because of, like, it was either windy or whatever, and uh, I don't know. I don't think it was very smooth, but this is sort of a uh, a recurring thing on Quantum Leap, to be fair, because Donald Belisario would just be like, add this in, do this, whatever. <laughs> Who cares if their lips don't match? <laughs> right. I, I don't think there was any dubbing that didn't match, though. I think it was all just,
2: like, sound issues on set. Well, there was a lovely Christmas theme that Velton came up with, though, so... That helped to sort of sell it for me as well. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, if you guys want to get into some final observations. I agree. It's
1: good to have a palate cleanser. And I think that's exactly what it was. They said, bring us a comedy episode because you've done all these dramas like uh, the network or whatever, because that's frequently what would happen anyway. Uh, And I get what they were going for with it you know hometown christmas and there were some heartwarming moments in there like i don't i don't necessarily hate it it's just not that um strong of an episode in my mind
2: it's just what you said allison it was a palate cleanser it was a welcome um sort of return to form for the series after a gonzo season five so far and uh Maybe that's why I'm giving it more credit than it deserves. But really, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I think it was fine. Quantum Leap. I think it was just the episode was just fine.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty much there as well. It was it's good enough. Quantum Leap. <laughs> it doesn't stand out, and it, it's one that I'm I'm always quite eager to just get past um, when I'm watching season five, which I generally love, and I love mostly because of the gimmicks. <laughs> I
1: don't think this was that much of a gimmick episode, to be honest.
0: Exactly. That's the thing. This doesn't have much of a gimmick. Um, it, d- it definitely does have a bit of a gimmick, but it's it doesn't have a particularly strong gimmick. And as with a lot of season five, it doesn't have a, it's not a massively good episode behind the gimmick. So it's, it's okay. It's, it's good enough. And like Matt, you said it twice now, good enough. And
2: after Trilogy, <laughs> good enough Quantum Leap is good enough for me. So (laughs) if you out there listening would like to tell us what you thought of Promised Land, there are many, Ways that you can reach us here on the Quantum Leap Podcast. You can get us by phone at 707-847-6682. You can email us at Quantum Leap Podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Quantum Leap Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Quantum Leap Pod. And you can always go that extra mile and support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Quantum Leap Podcast. Just remember that we may use your response on an upcoming episode of the Quantum Leap Podcast. And speaking of upcoming episodes, Matt, tell us what's next.
0: Well, this is interesting that we were just talking about gimmicks because I'm pretty sure this is the only episode this year that doesn't really have anything approaching a gimmick. Uh, We're going to be talking about A Tale of Two Sweeties, possibly the the closest to a regular quantum leap uh, that we get in the whole of season five.
3: Passenger Martin Elroy, please report to the courtesy desk. Martin Elroy. What's that about? It's what about? They just paged you.
4: Oh, well, I guess I was so excited to see her that yeah, I didn't hear <laughs> Well, we'll get your bags and meet you at the curb. But don't take too long. I've got a pot roast in the oven and something special for dessert.
2: Come on. Hey, Love you. Finally boarding, on flight to All, Miami.
1: All Just a moment, please. Oh. Kids? I'm Daddy. I oh. miss oh, Daddy.
2: Surprise! I oh, miss oh, you, Daddy. Oh, boy. <laughs> It's funny because I remember wanting to like this one more than I did when it first aired. So <laughs> since we've been taking such a deep dive into season five, I'm wondering if my opinion of it is going to change.
1: Yeah, it's a, I remember being a very want, want episode. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, of course, if if we were watching this back in 1992, then after Promised Land, we would be enjoying a repeat of the Leap Back. Uh, before we get to Tale of Two Sweeties, Leap Back being one of the most gimmicky episodes ever.
1: Not Leap Home, Leap Back. No, Leap Back. Did I call it Leap Back earlier when I was talking about him and his dad? Because I meant Leap Home Part One. If I didn't, if I said Leap no, Back, I, th- I think you <laughs> I said Leap Home.
2: Okay. I think you yeah. said Leap Home. did say yeah. The Leap home. Yeah. Yeah, it's
1: weird that they didn't do another helping of a uh, hometown. And they had, like, you know, Thanksgiving and all that, another holiday.
2: Yeah. Well, I don't know that you wouldn't call it a gimmick that Sam leaps into a polygamist, but hey, you know, maybe we have different standards on gimmicks. I'd look forward to speaking to both of you about it. <laughs> I don't think Liberation was that
1: gimmicky either.
2: Yeah, I think if you're going to say the least gimmicky episode, Liberation might be it. Oh, interesting.
0: We'll talk about both of those then.
2: Yes, and uh, I look forward to both discussions. Until then, I have been Christopher Philippus. I've been
3: Allison Pregler.
2: And I've been Matt Dale. And we'll see you next time.
3: Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Quantum Leap Podcast, hosted by Allison, Matt, and Chris, with voice talent and contributions from Hayden McQueenie and Zoe Dean. Visit us at quantumleappodcast.com. To support the show, please go to patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. The executive producer of the Quantum Leap Podcast is Albert Burge. Christopher DeFilippis and Hayden McQueenie are the co-executive producers. Morgan Felden and Charles Allen Gossard are the producers. The thoughts expressed on this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those of the Quantum Leap Podcast, its partners or affiliates. The Quantum Leap universe and all it contains is the property of Belisarius Productions and Universal Television. The Quantum Leap podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal Television, and no copyright infringement is intended. Please visit baronspace.com for this and other amazing content. The Quantum Leap podcast is a Baronspace production.